Well, good morning again. If you are new, we're excited that you are here with us. Um, right after church, there may be somebody that finds you with a little gift bag. There's something in there for you to thank you for being with us today. And uh, so take that and enjoy. Um, we're going to be looking at the book of Colossians. We've been in here since, uh, since the start in January. And so if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, just slip your hand up. Maybe you forgot it at home. Maybe, maybe you don't have one. We would love for you to have God's Word, uh, for you to be checking everything that I say against God's Word, and for you to have His all-sufficient, powerful, life-giving Word in your hands. So go ahead and slide your hand up if you need a Bible today. The ushers would love to bring you one. So yes, we are in the book of Colossians. Before we do that, I just want to highlight uh, uh, one of our pillars, one of our distinctives as this church. We're a church that believes, if you look at the top of that banner there, in bold preaching, bold preaching, both expository and applicational preaching. And our statement behind that is that we will, we will fearlessly proclaim the truth about God and his gospel by preaching the scriptures in context and with a dependence on the Holy Spirit to bring eternal change. We believe in bold preaching. We, we herald the authority of God's word without apology. We believe that if God has spoken to us through his word and he promises to feed us by his word and that we are called to preach his word every Sunday, uh, the preaching, the sermon is going to be the climax. It's going to be the center of what we do. God's word is vital for our souls. It's vital for our life. It's, it's the fuel for our furnaces. In 2 Timothy uh, 3, 16 to 17, says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So with that in mind, uh, we're going to take the book of Colossians and continue in that today. So we've been walking through Colossians for the last couple months. Uh, this book is so, f- so full and, and so rich. Uh, chapter 1 was so jam-packed with theology, a lot of indicatives telling us the truth of who Jesus Christ is, that, that he is, as we have on this banner, he is preeminent in everything. He may be preeminent. And then we have now turned into the chapter 2, which is how we are to apply this preeminence of Christ into our life. And chapter 2 calls us to respond to the gospel, respond to what we've already been taught, Paul said in chapter 2, verse 6, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Live in him. And so as, as we looked further at the rest of that text, last week we saw the Lord teaching us, teaching us three critical instructions for how we are to walk, how we are to live in Christ. The first one was to keep our feet planted, to walk in Christ-anchored thankfulness. The second one is to walk with our eyes open. Walk with Christ-focused discernment. And then the third was to walk with our hearts full, to be brave in the gospel, to walk with Christ-empowered courage. That was last week's sermon. If you, if you haven't heard it, you can go to our website and listen to any of the sermons. They're all there. And what we learned last week was, as we walk in him, we need to proactively pursue the Lord. And as we proactively pursue the Lord, we passively receive the work that he does in our hearts. And our scripture today continues to build on this, how to walk in the Lord, this building of walking. And so we've already had some instructions for how to walk. Today, Colossians is going to highlight for us how we are to think as we walk, 
how we are to think on the path of this Christian life. So let me ask you first this morning, how's your thought life? What are you thinking about right now? When you walk in the doors of this church, how many thoughts are rolling around in your head? We have lots of thoughts running around in our head. Perhaps this week has been a struggle. Perhaps it's been one of the harder weeks. Perhaps it's been a hard morning just trying to get here. Has your, has your walk this morning or this week been a little bit wobbly? Has your mind been captivated by things that aren't of God? Things that are distracting? Things that are taking you away from Him? And as you are striving in this Christian life, where's your focus? What are you casting your eyes upon? What are you thinking about? Our minds are so constantly wrapped up in all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of ideas, all kinds of truths floating around in our heads. We're constantly talking to ourselves in our heads. So what are those messages? What are those messages that you are talking to yourself about? Is the gospel... In there, is it speaking to you? Are you reminding yourself of the truth? Remember last week I said, salvation is glorious and free, but the Christian walk is often very hard, right? And so when it comes to really hard times, trials, persecutions, just like the context of the Colossian church, when we see the fallenness of the world around us, what are the messages that you are preaching to yourself in your head? We often We often preach to ourselves messages that are fallen, messages that that aren't of God, messages that are of the world, and we can slide into a ditch of despair. So friends, as much as the Lord wants to instruct your feet on how you are to walk, to instruct your eyes how they are to see, to instruct your heart and, and how you are to be brave, he wants us to instruct our minds and how we are to think. And so today we're going to see in this word, in Colossians 2, verses 11 to 15, we're going to see Paul using four powerful metaphors, four powerful metaphors that reveal four essential gospel truths that we need to keep preaching to ourselves as we walk, as we live this Christian life. So let's turn to Colossians 2, verses 11 to 15. I'm actually going to start in verse 8 as I read, just to bring some more context into this. He said, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And then in our verses today, starting at verse 11, in him, in Christ, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we read your word this morning. 
And we see that there's a lot here. But we know that your word is full. As this, this Colossian church and, and the false teaching in the church, we're, we're teaching of a fuller knowledge, a fuller experience. Lord, we look to you as our fullness. Jesus is the fullest expression of God. And we turn to him today. We turn to your word. Teach us by your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be active among us, working in our hearts, teaching us, illuminating the scripture to us, guiding us, convicting us, encouraging us, comforting us. And so we pray for that. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to dive in here today. So we're going to look at this first metaphor beginning in verse 11. The metaphor of circumcision uh, being used by Paul to to show us uh, our first essential gospel truth that we need to keep preaching to ourselves. And the first point is this. I must preach to myself that if I am in Christ, I am fully liberated. If I am in Christ, I am fully liberated. Verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And so we see here Paul beginning by by reminding us yet again that a true Christ follower is found in Christ. He says, in him. So when we are saved from our sin, we are forever united to Jesus Christ. we just seen this in verse 10, just previous. It reminded us that, that we are in Christ and he fills us in him. We are, we are covered and filled. If you're a Christian, you are covered by Christ's righteousness and you are filled with his spirit. It's the only way that we can persevere as a Christ follower. And it's when we are found in Christ, when we are saved by our sin, when we, this is when we are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Now, this is not something that we usually speak about when we're talking about our salvation, right? Like, hey, friend down the road, have you been circumcised, right? It's not something that we're, we're talking about. But Paul is using this as a metaphor. And in the New Testament, we see that it's used as a metaphor talking about regeneration, being set apart from the world. So in order to understand this, we need to understand what circumcision was in the Old Testament, We see Paul preaching to the church at Colossae. Uh, This church would be made up of Gentiles, and it would be made up of Jews, Jews who have come to Christ, and so they have this background, this ritual of being circumcised. And so Paul uses this Jewish religious practice to speak of our first essential truth of our salvation. And so we need to remember back where this came from. Back in Genesis chapter 17. We do have verses, but our technology failed us again today. I had them up there for you, but you'll just have to listen to me as, as we go to those verses as, as I preach through this. But in, in Genesis chapter 17, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham that he would be Abraham's God and he would make Abraham fruitful. And in that covenant promise, there would be a blessing. And there was a threefold promise associated with that blessing. There would be multitudes of nations coming from Abraham and that they would inherit a promised land and that ultimately there would be a future king. And all of these things also speak of so much greater eternal truths found in Jesus Christ and in heaven. But there would be a future king coming to rule from the line of Abraham. And so we see that God instituted this covenant, this sign of the covenant 
to be made between God and man through circumcision. And so every male Jewish boy was circumcised as a sign of this covenant. They would even have their slaves circumcised. Now, circumcision wasn't just a random practice that that God chose. It had deep, symbolic meaning. God's people were to be distinct. They were to be separate, set apart from the world. And so Paul uses this metaphor of circumcision to teach us in the New Covenant, that's Christians today, now that Christ has come, we belong to the New Covenant in Christ's blood, that we are circumcised, we are set apart. Not in the flesh, but in the spirit, in the spirit of your heart. So if you are a Christian this morning, you have been circumcised. Now you may be saying that's kind of a that's kind of a strange metaphor to be speaking about myself or to be reminding myself or to be preaching to myself. I've been circumcised, and you're right when you think about it. Um, circumcision, you know, it's pretty graphic, right? It's a pretty graphic thing, but but it had very very deep significance. It was a physical ritual but was never meant to stay with the physical. It was, a point to, was meant to point to something greater, always meant to point to a deeper truth. In fact, circumcision of the flesh was an outward picture of an inward change. Even in the Old Testament, we see that circumcision was a metaphor. In Deuteronomy 10.16, Moses teaches the people that they need to circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of their hearts, Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And this is also confirmed in the teaching of the New Testament. Paul taught in Romans 2, verses 28 to 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And so we see that this was a physical practice pointing to a greater spiritual need. The need of being set apart from the world, set apart from sin. And Paul goes even further here, verse 11, the putting off of the body of the flesh, being cleansed, being liberated from the bondage of sin. And one commentator says this, he says, the circumcision of Christ is a metaphor for the conquering of the power of sin that takes place when a person comes to Christ. It's a metaphor for what's happened to you spiritually. You have been removed from the domain of darkness. You've been released from the power of sin. And Paul says that this has happened to this Colossian church, to the believers And it has happened to you and me. We've all been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. This is done by God in the heart. This is not physical, but spiritual. Speaking of the essential truth that in Christ, who is the fulfillment of all Jewish practices, he is the fulfillment of all law, all Jewish ceremony. In Christ, you and I have been liberated. We have been liberated from the domain of sin. We're no longer held captive anymore by sin. Putting off the body of the flesh. And it was done, he says, by the circumcision of Christ. Jesus is the only one who can do this. 
And so when Jesus died on the cross, as his body was cut off, as, as he was killed, as he was separated from the world, as he died and was buried and was removed from life, we Christians die with him. We die to the flesh. We are buried in him. And because Christ wasn't bound to death, we are not bound to death. We are set free. We are liberated in him. We are no longer slaves. We're no longer held captive. We've already learned this back in chapter 1, verse 13, where it says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. It's like when refugees are brought here from horrible, enslaving countries. They are freed from that domain of darkness and they are brought to freedom. It's like us in Christ. We have been set free from the domain of darkness and brought to the kingdom of God. So friends, we need to keep reminding ourselves that we are liberated from our sin. We need to keep preaching that truth to each other and to ourselves as we engage this Christian life. We need, we need to believe this. No matter how dark the days are, no matter how much pain, no matter, matter how much anguish we experience in this life, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is tainted by sin. We see the effects of the fall everywhere. And we can often feel hopeless in any given situation. So no matter how much you think that sin still has a hold of you, if you are in Christ Jesus, you are set free. You are liberated from sin. you got to believe that. I have to believe that. Do you find it hard to believe sometimes? Do you find it hard to believe that you are set free from your sin? How about when you find yourself back in that old sin again? Back in the weeds of sin. For example, let's, let's just say that there's a particular sin that used to enslave you. It used to hold you captive. You felt like you couldn't escape it. And then you came to Christ. And Christ saved you from that sin, saved you from all your sin. And as you're walking as a Christian, you stumble, you rebel, and you fall back into that sin yet again. For example, it could be lust, it could be anger, it could be pride, it could be fear. Whatever sin had its claws and its fangs sunk deep into your soul, you used to be defined and bound by it. But since you've come to Christ, you've been freed. But sometimes you find yourself back in sin again. But in those moments, what gospel are you preaching to yourself? What messages are you teaching to yourself? Perhaps you're thinking that I'm a loser. I'm here again. I'm such a liar. I'm a hopeless sinner. I'm such a slave to my sin. I'm such a hypocrite. Maybe I'm not what I say that I am. Maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe all this Bible and this God stuff is, is all made up. Have you ever thought those thoughts in your head? Have you ever listened to those messages in your head? Friends, your flesh 
the world and the devil will always teach you an anti-gospel. It will always teach you a false message. Satan will always lie to you. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to nasty lies. Stop listening to your own anti-gospels. Paul says here that we need to listen to the truth. We need to proclaim the powerful truth that if I am really in Christ, I have been liberated, fully liberated from my sin. When Christ saves me, he saves me completely. Fully. I am fully liberated. And so as circumcision graphically paints the picture of being separated from sinful bondage, remember that in Christ you are fully free. You are fully set apart, removed from where you were, rescued from the pit of hell, and set on the rock of Jesus Christ. And so reject the lies. Reject those false messages. Preach the true message of Christ to yourself, that you are free. It's good. It's good for us to examine whether we're in the faith. Always be doing that. But don't believe the lies of Satan. If you are truly in Christ, you are truly free. Paul himself battled with this. In Romans 7, verse 19, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Chapter 7, verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's a common struggle, friends. We listen to lies. We listen to gospel, anti-gospels in our heads. But if we are in Christ, we are fully liberated. You need to preach that to yourself. Preach that to yourself amidst the mess. And then Paul moves on to a second metaphor here, which is linked to the circumcision as well. He turns to baptism to teach us another essential aspect of the gospel. And this is, I must preach to myself, if I am in Christ, I am entirely new. If I am in Christ, I am entirely new. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. You are alive in Christ. You are entirely new. And so if we are, if we are Christians, we have spiritually died in Christ Jesus, and we have spiritually been buried in Christ Jesus, and we have spiritually been raised up in Christ Jesus. And this is not our own doing. This is the work of God. The powerful work of God who raised Christ from the dead. So we are made alive together with him. This is such a glorious truth that we need to meditate on and keep preaching to ourselves. We are no longer dead. We are alive. Do you believe that? Do you believe as Paul says here, that apart from Christ, you are dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. We were dead in our sins. We were uncircumcised in our flesh, meaning that we were still held captive. We are without hope. We don't want to rush past this horrific truth. 
Because we need to hear this this morning. As we are all born sinners, as we are all born bent towards sin, we are rebels against the grace of God, and, we, and we're facing the wrath of God if we are not in Christ. And so let me be really clear with you this morning. If you're not in Christ this morning, if you're not sure that you are in Christ this morning, if you have not truly repented of your sin and turned away from yourself and turned to Christ Jesus for full salvation, you are still dead. You are still dead. You're lost. You have not truly tasted and seen that the Lord is good. So if this is you this morning, remember, you are dead. You were still held captive. You are without hope. But in this moment, God is stretching his hand out to you. He wants you to turn from your sin and run to him in all of his mercy, in all of his grace, in all of his love. He's calling you to run to him. Don't leave this church spiritually dead. All of our days are numbered. You need to be alive in Christ. Turn from your sin, turn to him. Be made new. Join us in this new life. Receive your new heart. This is why we're we're a church here in New Brighton. This is why we're a new church. We want to see the lost all around us coming to Christ. We want to see people turning from their sin and being made new. We want people to join us and to celebrate Jesus Christ and the new life that is found in him. And baptism is such a beautiful picture of that. Love baptism. I'm I'm looking so forward to baptisms that are coming in our church in the future. And if that's you this morning, if, if you haven't been baptized as a believer, come talk to me. I'd love to talk about baptism with you. I love how baptism preaches the gospel. As the person is lowered beneath the water, they are completely covered by the water. This portrays our death in Christ. When they are lowered before the water, it reminds us of Christ's death as well. And as that person is raised out of the water, it it symbolizes that the old man is being washed off. The old man is gone, and the new man is alive. This is the gospel. He raises you to new life. He has removed the heart of stone. He has given you a heart of flesh, and he has put his Holy Spirit in you. You're baptized spiritually. Not in the physical act of baptism, but when you come to Christ, when you turn from your sin, you are spiritually baptized in him. And the baptism that we perform in in church in front of each other, that's a picture that's already been done inside of our hearts. So baptism, Paul is using again as a metaphor, a physical, tangible practice meant to point us to a greater heavenly reality. And Paul uses this metaphor to remind us today to preach this truth to ourselves over and over and over again. We need to hear this. As we walk on this road of faithfulness, we need to hear over and over and over again that I am alive in Christ. Martin Luther said, Baptism signifies that the old Adam in us is to be drowned by daily sorrow and repentance and perish with all sins and evil lusts. 
and that the new man should daily come forth again and rise. Who shall live before God in righteousness and purity forever? We need to keep reminding ourselves, we are dead, but we are alive. We are dead to sin, alive in Christ. And friends, it's, it's only in Christ that we can live this resurrected life. In fact, it's only in Christ that you can live. If you are not in Christ, you are the walking dead. You are not alive. At salvation, when you were baptized in the heart, you were baptized into God's kingdom. You were given a new, living, eternal life. We often talk about heaven as what is to come, or eternal life as something that is to come. Eternal life starts when you have turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ for full salvation. When, when God has come upon you and regenerated your heart, given you his spirit, eternal life begins then. And if you don't have that, you have eternal death. But we celebrate our eternal life, that we once were on that path to eternal death. We were the walking dead. We were headed to hell. But that's not our reality anymore. Now we have everything in Christ. We have a new heart to believe with. We have new eyes to see the truth. We have a new purpose. We're not aimed to serve ourselves anymore. We have been given the Holy Spirit, the person of God living in you. Think about that again. Every time we say that, we have to think about the gravity with that. God living in you. He empowers you, enables you to live for him. You are alive. We sing this in our songs. We are alive. Hallelujah, we are alive. So are you preaching this to yourself? Are you reminding yourself that you are no longer dead? Are you reminding yourself that you are alive, that you are entirely new? You know, I, I, don't, uh, I don't deal with depression myself. I don't deal with any kind of debilitating depression. It hasn't really been a part of my life. Um, I've had moments of doubt in life and discouragement here and there, um, maybe just from feeling spent or exhausted. But I can honestly say that I've, I've never had long periods of melancholy or uh, deep depression. I've never thought to myself that it would be, I'd be better off if I was dead. I've never thought that. But I know that it's real. I know that people think that. And I know that Christians are not immune to that at times. Charles Spurgeon himself, one of the greatest preachers, the prince of preachers, he dealt with deep, debilitating depression. It's real. But it's, in, it's rooted in a heart that, think, that is thinking that it's still dead. Depression is real, but it's, it's rooted in faulty thinking. And many things are attributed to this as well, experiences in life as well. Um, sometimes we think God is so far away. Sometimes we think that, uh, that we can do nothing to please him, that we're fools, that would be better off if we weren't here. At the core of it, depression is a nasty cycle of messages that we're teaching ourselves in our head. It's messages that are not rooted in the truth of Jesus Christ. It's not rooted in the new life, the new way of thinking. It's, it's a world that is informed by, by the world and by Satan. 
And I want to tell you that depression is a real thing. Low thoughts are a real thing, but we have to have our minds renewed. We have to be remembering that we are alive. When we are faced with feeling dead, with feeling worthless, we have to remember that we aren't dead. We have to remember that our hope is not found within ourselves. It's not found within our own thoughts. It's found in the resurrection person of Jesus Christ. And it's found in our preeminent provision in him alone. We have to stop with our carnal thinking. We have to stop with the anti-gospels that we're teaching ourselves. And we have to remember that we have been raised up. The same power that raised Christ from the dead has raised you from the dead. So don't join Satan in tearing yourself down. Run to the truth. Jesus said in John 10.10, Satan, the thief, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You have eternal, abundant life right now. You're not dead. You are alive. You are indwelt by God himself. And you have him to the fullest. It is abundantly full. God doesn't stop short. He doesn't give you half a glass. He fills you. If you are in Christ, you are entirely new. And then we also see that in this newness of liberty, in this newness of life, that we are also forgiven. We are absolved. If I am in Christ, I am completely forgiven. If I am in Christ, I am completely forgiven. Look down at verses 13 and 14. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In this third metaphor, Paul hammers home that being raised from the dead also means that we are completely, 100% forever forgiven of our transgressions against the Lord. Your God is a full forgiver. He forgives you completely when you turn to him. He doesn't choose just some of these sins. He doesn't just choose the ones in the past. Okay, well, I'll forgive you these ones up to this point, but from here on out, I don't know about those ones. God forgives us all of our sins, past, present, future. If we are fully forgiven in him, we are forgiven forever. When God means he forgives, he really means he forgives, and he forgives all of our sin. And Paul uses a metaphor here. Uh, it's a legal metaphor, a legal metaphor of debt to describe the kind of forgiveness that God has for us. He uses this concept of debt, of, be, of owing something to a debtor, a creditor. It's like sitting down with God and writing out this list, this IOU list. An IOU list to God of every sin I have ever committed against him. Has anybody ever written an IOU to somebody here before? Like maybe when you were a kid, you needed some money for something, and mom and dad, I need to borrow this money for this, so I got a list here of the stuff that I owe you for. 
You really needed something. It's also like when you open up your mortgage invoice and you see those big numbers staring at you. Or if you you open up your credit card uh, balance, your statement, you wonder if you're ever going to be able to pay all of that off. You might think of what will happen if I don't pay this off. What will happen if I, if I can't pay my bills? Well, in, in the Greco-Roman period of this, this time of the Colossians, if you owed too much, you'd be thrown, thrown in prison. Yeah, you'd even have your wife and your children sometimes thrown in prison to pay off your debt. But in the economy of God, uh, this I owe you list that we have is so long It's so large, we could never pay anything off. We could never pay one sin off. In fact, one sin against the Lord is worthy of eternal punishment because he is eternal, he is an eternal, holy, and worthy God. And so we have this record of sin against us, unresolvable by us alone. And Paul shows us here, and he reminds us that God's forgiveness is full and complete. He cancels the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Literally meaning that our IOU to God, our record is literally wiped clean. In the context of this first century, the record would be blotted out. On the parchment, it would be washed, it would be blotted out, it would be gone and forgotten, completely and totally canceled. It's like he took the list of crimes that you have committed against him and he washes you completely white. And it says here that he sets it and nails it. He sets it aside and nails it to the cross of Jesus Christ. Nails it to the cross of Jesus Christ. So as Jesus took his last breath and he said, it is finished. Your sin was finished. It was completely perfectly forever forgiven in Jesus Christ, in his blood. There's no more record against us. We're not guilty anymore. Throughout Scripture, we we see this over and over again. Our sins are completely forgiven. Isaiah 1.18, God says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, red, They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. White, pure wool. When we are forgiven, that atrocious stain of sin is removed. And we are forever clean. Like the purest, whitest wool. The prophet Micah said in Micah 7 verses 18 to 19, Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Friends in Christ, we are fully, we are completely forgiven. It's a truth that we cannot stop singing about. Most of our Christian songs have to do with our forgiveness. We need to be reminded of our forgiveness. Like the old hymn, it is well. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. 
is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. That is our song. And so are you preaching this to yourself? Is this a message that you need to be teaching yourself in your head? You know, one of the biggest hurdles I've found in being a Christian is trying to understand forgiveness. Trying to understand it. You know, I read it in his word. I sing of it. I would say that I believe it fully. It's, it's, it lines up with my theologies. But at times, I still feel really guilty about sin in the past. Things that I know theologically from Scripture are gone. But I still feel that guilt. And how about you? Do you still feel that guilt? Do you dwell on your past transgressions? Perhaps you did something really horrible in your life. Perhaps um, you did something that you didn't think you'd ever be forgiven of. But God's grace is so full. It is not shallow. It is not limited. We need to try to comprehend the depths of God's amazing love towards us and forgiveness. We need to try to comprehend it although we probably will never comprehend it, we need to apprehend it, which means to believe it. Believe it and trust it because that's what God's word says. As Christ was nailed to the cross, your sins were nailed to the cross. And so believe it. It's true. This is not just a concept. This is not just words. It's the everlasting, everlasting truest thing you could ever believe. You're not guilty anymore you're not guilty anymore preach that to yourself daily sing that truth when the days are dark pray that in your closet when you feel the weight of your sin proclaim that to your heart when you forget the depths of the forgiveness that God has for you when you find yourself again facing temptation and sin, don't run from Jesus. Run to him. His arms are open with full forgiveness. Run to the cross. Your debt has been paid fully. It's been nailed in Jesus' blood on the cross. My record has been absolved, and I am completely forgiven. And this last metaphor wraps it all up in the victory of Jesus Christ for you. We need to preach this to ourselves as we're on the path of this Christian life. That we are undefeated. We are undefeated. If I am in Christ, I am totally triumphant. If I am in Christ, I am totally triumphant. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is a, a military metaphor speaking of Christ disarming, which would be literally stripping off the power of an enemy to take away their weapons and to disable them completely, to render them absolutely harmless. And the opponent here is rulers and authorities, which, which Paul already spoke of previously as Satan and the spiritual realm. And the truth is that at the cross of Christ, Satan's power was rendered useless. Jesus defeated sin. He defeated death. He defeated Satan. And more than that, he put them to open shame, meaning that he exposes his victory over his enemies to the world. That cross 
stands as a symbol of victory over darkness. That's why we love the cross. This same language of of victory was used for Roman generals at that time, conquering lands. And and when they would conquer lands, they they would ride through the city and they would ride with all of their conquered enemies in chains behind them. That's the picture of Satan. He is bound. Christ has won. Yes, today he's still working, but he is bound. And one day he will be eternally bound in hell. And so the chains that we see here, this is the open shame. This is the victory cry. This is what God has done for you in Christ. He has defeated power and sin and death. He is a victorious king. He has vanquished the darkness. And he parades Satan around. Satan has no power over you anymore. The dominion of darkness has no power over you anymore. The Apostle John spoke to the church in 1 John 4. 4. He said, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Friends, the fact that we are in Christ and he is in us renders us undefeated. Not because we did anything, it's because Christ has done it all. He is the victorious Savior. But the beauty is that because we are found in Christ, we are victorious. Christ says that, or Paul says that Christ did it all by triumphing over them. Full, complete victory. Nothing less. And so you and I can face tomorrow because We didn't do it. Christ did it. The gospel is not about what we can do. The gospel is about what Christ has done. And we, in that gospel, when we are found in Christ, we are victorious. We are conquerors. Romans 8, 37. For in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is our victorious King. We have nothing to fear. We are secure. We are safe. We are victors because Christ is the victor. So again, what are you telling yourself? In those moments of darkness, are you telling yourself this? Or are you feeling defeated? Are you feeling like you have no hope? That you might as well just give up? But remember, instead of giving up, you need to remember that Christ has done it all. He is the one who has fought the battle. He is the one who has destroyed the enemies. Remember the story of David and Goliath? This was the story about a victorious shepherd boy who killed the impossible enemy Goliath. This was a a real story. This really happened. But the story also speaks of something greater. Christ defeating sin for you. He had to do it. So the next time you feel that power of, of darkness against you, maybe it feels really strong at times, that temptation to sin just, just feels so powerful. Remember that Christ is victorious. He has defeated it. In his death, he destroyed death. 
In his death, he has destroyed Satan. In his death, he has destroyed all the darkness. And so you need to preach to yourself that you are victorious because he is victorious. And you are fearless because he is fearless. He did it all. And he did it for you. We need to believe it. We need to preach it over and over again on this path of righteousness, this Christian life, that you are undefeated. If I am in Christ, I am totally triumphant. So Paul here has given us a sermon for ourselves. A sermon to keep preaching to ourselves, preaching to our hearts, preaching to our feet as we continue to walk this life in Jesus. So let us turn from the lies of the world. Let us turn from our fallen thoughts. And let us turn to the truth. This is who we are in Christ. This is our preeminent provision. Christ has done this. This is for you. We are in Christ. If you have received him, this is your reality. And so live in it and walk in it. We are fully liberated. We are entirely new. We are completely forgiven. And we are totally triumphant. The gospel of Jesus is not a half gospel. It is a full gospel. The false teachers in Colossae were teaching that the gospel was not enough. Jesus has done everything. It is a full gospel. Believe in it. Trust in it. You have the preeminent provision of Jesus Christ, and in it you are complete. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the truth that is in your word. It's just so powerful to hear about what Christ has done for us. We look at this word and we're reminded of our utter uselessness. Apart from Christ, all of our works were like filthy rags. We're fallen. We could do nothing to save ourselves. Thank you for reminding us yet again of the gospel. This is truth. We need to keep teaching ourselves over and over and over again. That we are free. That we are new. And that we can live in Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Continue to work in us as we go today. Be with us as we continue to sing. And we ask for your glory to be found here. We ask for faithfulness of this church and these people. May your name be lifted high. We love you, Jesus. Amen.